Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined by my little sister, <laughs> Michaela Gerber. Michaela, welcome to the show. Zach's only little sister. Yeah, my only I little sister. I have two, but you only have one. Only one. The one and only. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me, guys. It's really great to be here. Hey, it's our pleasure. Um, so I know you quite well, but for the listeners who maybe don't, why don't I, you just give them a short rundown of who you are and what you're about? Yeah, so my name is Michaela. I was born and raised in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, I was on the Canadian gymnastics team for seven years before heading off to UCLA on scholarship where I studied psychology and global health. And currently I'm in England at the University of Leeds getting my master's degree in psychological approaches to health. So lots of psychology and lots of health. So you're smarter than me is what you're saying. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, about we always that. You're do pretty that. Smart. <laughs> Mickey, why don't you give us something you love about our country, Canada? What I love about Canada is that um, in a world that doesn't always value kindness, that's something that's very integral to our culture and that's something that we try and carry forward. Um being international and going into different cultures, I've kind of had that experience of what different areas value. And I really genuinely love the fact that Canadians value kindness and value being there for other people. So true. I, I think one of my favorite examples of this, and I think I brought it up before, but is when there's a big snowstorm and you go out and everyone's helping each other shovel their driveways, right? And you're like, yeah. you're just walking down the streets of Canada and you're like, I like this place. Yeah, People very, are working hard and they're getting stuff done. It's a very quintessential <laughs> Canadian thing to help your neighbor out in a snowstorm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, if there's anything that defines us, it's that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, everyone says we're so nice, but maybe it's not that we're nice. Maybe it's that we're kind. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think it takes a, a great deal of character to be kind in the society that we live in right now. Because, you know, you have woke culture and cancel culture and everything. And yet, despite all of that, I feel like Canadians still make the effort to be kind. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. I... Yeah, I like that. So how can you give us some examples of how you've seen that kind of play out in your in your own life? And then maybe how you've seen maybe it not be the focus in other places that you've been? You don't have to say the specific places or anything. But. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like it, it comes up a lot in conversation when you're in different places. Um, it's, it's how conversation plays out. Um, I think that when you're in a conversation with Canadians, everyone's really, you know, paying attention and wanting to hear everyone's side or, you know, really hear your side of things. Whereas in other countries, um, it's very easy to be not ignored, but um, not necessarily be valued in the same way that I feel like Canadians value each other. Um, and just kind of sometimes the things that are said um, are... I don't know how to put it exactly. I'm, I'm not trying to offend anyone. <laughs> no, no, but, no. <laughs> That's but, very um, kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sometimes the, the like opinions that are, are said about other people um, can be a little bit judgmental. 
when I find that in my own life and in other Canadians that I've spoken with, um, we like to give the people the benefit of the doubt, which doesn't always come up in other cultures, I find. That's true. It is one of our best qualities is we kind of just, we assume the best, generally speaking, and thus proven otherwise. Yeah, exactly. We take innocent until proven guilty into our personal relationships. (laughs) There we go. There we go. (laughs) Exactly. I like that. That's a good thing to love about Canada. So you've you've had a lot of experience with uh, kind of the pageantry of Canada too, as as a representative of Canada on Team Canada. What share a little bit of what that's like? What is it like to be a symbol for Canada as well, and know that you're kind of you know carrying the flag? Well, I feel like when I was doing it, I didn't really understand the the fact that I was representing the country. I mean, I was a name. I knew that I was competing for Canada. But, um, you know, I was, I started when I was 13. That's when I first represented Canada internationally and did so until I was 18. And then I guess also beyond at UCLA. And it's not something that you think about as a teenager, but looking back, um, I have a lot of pride for that because, um, once again, Canada was, a country that was well liked internationally even if we weren't necessarily the best in the world we we held our own and in all my interactions as a gymnast I think everyone everyone liked us right <laughs> we were nice right. we were kind <laughs> <laughs> but it's such it's such a huge thing that you don't think about but it's something that um being able to say that I represented my country internationally and I continue to do so as an international student. Um, I get to give people a window into our culture and, and how we conduct ourselves and hopefully kind of spread the values that I have and that our country have into other areas. On um, giving people a window into the Canadian culture internationally, have you found Uh, any recurring ideas about Canada that come from people outside of Canada that aren't true of Canada? Uh, Kind of that we're the pushovers. Right. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. Which always kind of gets my, my hackles raised a little bit when everyone is sort of like, Oh, or the, um, Oh, you're just like the USA. Mm, Right. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Like you're American. That's right. one that I actually get really annoyed with when people call me American, even though I'm Canadian. Right. And they're like, oh, it's just the same. I'm like, no, it's not. It's very different. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's true. It's true. It is very different. So in some yeah. good ways and some bad ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but Canada- I think that sorry, go ahead. No, you you please. Yeah. Um the whole the, the the idea of the pushover. I think because we have this reputation of being polite and sweet and nice, um, people expect that we just kind of lay down and take whatever is given to us, which there is a measure of truth to that, I think. But at the same time, I think Canadians are actually incredibly strong um, because we have to battle the elements in our country and we don't have a a large population. Um, So in some ways we're fighting an uphill battle and yet we're so strong because of that. Yeah, it's our environment has crafted us to to just be able to deal with things a little bit better than a lot of people, I think. I, I like it's yeah, like exactly. I like what you said earlier and I 
I think it's an important point is, you know, it takes a certain level of maturity to be kind. And I think it takes a, a certain level of suffering to have the maturity to be kind. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> what other, like, would you say is just misconceptions that people have about like how we live in Canada, perhaps? Like, do they think... Well, when I was down in the States, people definitely thought that it was winter all the time. <laughs> yes. It seems to be a so common silly. American. <laughs> it's so silly. I've heard stories but of you, Americans coming to the border in like the with, middle of summer with skis. And they're like, where's the snow? <laughs> so yeah, I And even over here, I've had questions of whether or not it gets warm in Canada. Oh. And I'm like, it actually gets hotter than england does yeah. like england yeah. is cold in comparison during the summer months um yeah so i think it's just i mean you get the typical jokes of you know maple syrup and hockey and i get teased a lot in england for canada not having a very good soccer team or football uh, as yes. they call it um yes that's true. and then i just fire back that you know we own hockey so it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not if you're the leafs yeah <laughs> not if you're the leafs yeah. still bitter no, talk oh. about that <laughs> hey guys we're 13 days away from the leafs being on the longest drought in nhl history oh are we really yeah <laughs> i leafs feel that i feel somewhere <laughs> yeah. i feel that in my soul yeah you feel the days ticking away. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It'll okay. come back to us one day. Yeah. Yeah. One day. Maybe when when our children are our age. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you're studying over in England. T- tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about that choice because this is actually a huge part of the Canadian story. Is uh, I have many friends also that are studying abroad or now live abroad, and a lot of Cana- Canadians leave to get a let's say a higher level of education or more opportunities uh i'm not saying that we hope you're obviously going to come back but what is it that what is the impetus for that what do you think it is that that canada that happens so frequently for canada that our best and our brightest go elsewhere why do you think that is in your experience as someone who's gone to get educated elsewhere and met expats over there i'm sure why do you think that is? And and does the Canadian identity continue as you're over there? Or does it kind of fade more into the background? I think that, at least initially, when it came to my experience in my undergrad um, at UCLA, a lot of the Canadians that I met were there because of scholarships. Um, you know, we, we were athletes, and it was just a great opportunity to get an education for free. You know, you just hand away four years of your life to a sport and right, right. <laughs> you know, get a degree on the side and it's worth it for sure. When it came to my master's degree, um, it was quite the journey. I did initially start looking in Canada and then North America. Um, and I was looking for something very specific that would allow me to pursue what I knew I wanted to pursue professionally um, in terms of the kinds of research that I wanted to do. And I didn't find the program that I was looking for in Canada or the USA. And that kind of made me broaden my horizons. And part of that, what allowed me to do that was because I went international for undergrad. I was comfortable with the idea of leaving home and and, uh, pursuing education elsewhere. But I found the program that I wanted in England and I think part of why Canadians go abroad so often is 
a lot of other programs are potentially more well-established. Right. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Especially in Europe, there's hundreds of years of history. Um, and these universities are hundreds of years old, whereas in comparison, Canada is really just kind of getting started, which is great because we have a lot of potential. But um, my idea in going international was to get the kind of education that I wanted from the professionals that I wanted, and then to take that expertise and bring it back home to Canada. I wish I, I love that. I'm glad that's your vision. I keep talking to everyone who leaves and or not everyone, but as many as I can and saying, come back guys. Like this is where the potential is. Like this is where we can grow something. And while <clears throat> some of us may feel, including myself, that things are rather grim right now in terms of our government and some of our freedoms being taken. I think at the end of the day, the potential here is so much more than almost anywhere else in the world. So I'd mm -hmm. agree, but, but let's go into this. I want to, I love what you're studying. You have so much to share on that. And yeah, tell us why you became a, the, tell us your story of, of why you got on this path, why you chose this as the research that you want to do. Um, share Michaela's story with us, which is obviously also the Canadian story. <laughs> yeah. So I first became interested in psychology um, when I was 13. I can remember the exact moment that I decided that I wanted to go into psychology we were watching A Beautiful Mind, which is the story of John Nash and how he dealt with um, having schizophrenia while also having this incredible mind um, for physics. And that, that story of someone who rose above their circumstances and the illness that they were dealing with really kind of just touched my soul. And I went, oh my goodness, I love this and I'm super interested in it. And that kind of just carried forward onwards and onwards in terms of what I want to do. When it comes to what I'm studying right now, so I'm really interested in pursuing the connection between food, nutrition, and mental health. Um, and that's a very personal story for me um, because I have had to deal with that myself. Um, I have a great deal of uh, food allergies that have affected me when I didn't know about them. Um, they affected me mentally and emotionally. And once I figured that out and figured out my diet and what worked for me, my mental health got a whole lot better. Um, but that kind of stuff isn't well known within research. No one could really tell me why I was feeling that way and why cutting certain things out of my diet worked. So that's why I want to pursue it because I want to figure out these answers and hopefully help to prevent um, other people from feeling the way that I did. And we're certainly seeing a mental health crisis um, just within the last decade or so. Within adolescence, um, depression has risen about 30%, um, which is mm. a really bad number. And I'm sure yeah. it's gotten worse since <clears throat> the pandemic. And we're just kind of seeing it. And for me, interacting with youth, um, I've seen the way that their mental health is not the way it was even when I was in high school. So I'm just really passionate about trying to prevent people from feeling the way that I did, but also giving them other ways beyond, um, like beyond, um, antidepressants or other medication. You know, we live in a society, I think that's very much wanting the quick fix. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I want to find ways that are looking at our health holistically and kind of considering the things that we put into our body and seeing if there are ways to solve it without adding another uh, another Band-Aid. 
Yeah. Drug, oh yeah. man, I've I've been thinking about this a lot. I'd love to dive into it on the on the whole depression side. What's causing this the, this depression? But I'm very interested in what you're talking about with nutrition because I mean I think I brought this up before, but Peter Thiel's uh, in his book Zero to One, he says that one of the most important fields of the next fifty years, he thinks, and one of the least discovered, and the ones that contains the most secrets, as he calls it, because every great company is built around a secret, right, is nutrition. So do you want to share a bit? We've had uh, one nutritionist on the podcast, but I'd like you to share a bit of about this connection that you've that you believe you've discovered and why you think it exists. Like what is your, where's your research taking you on this? Yeah. So uh, recently within research, they've been finding connections, something called the gut brain axis. Um, so within our gut, we have what's called the microbiome, which are all, all the bacteria that live within our gut. And 70% of the bacteria that exists in the human body is found within the gut. And they have found a connection between uh, shifts in the microbiome and uh, mental health and, and the way that your brain works. And what they're finding is there's actually this connection between inflammation and, and the gut and your brain. So what can happen is when something causes your gut to become inflamed, it can cause your the mucus that lines your gut to uh, kind of be broken apart. And then you get something called leaky gut syndrome, which is then having particles moving out of your gut that are getting into your bloodstream and causing inflammation because those are particles that aren't supposed to be in your bloodstream. So your body reacts to it. But then those inflammatory cytokines, um, when they're uplifted, they can also cross over what's called the blood brain barrier. And that can Mm. then affect your synapses and how your brain works and it can produce they think uh symptoms of depression most of the research within all of the gut brain axis kind of relies on uh or not relies um considers depression because that's what we found the most associations with um it's it's kind of going back to this whole idea of um before I think we kind of viewed the brain as being this separate entity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The brain just worked. It it ran everything and it wasn't affected by anything in our body. It just was the brain. But now we're seeing that our our research is discovering that there's actually a two-way street, a bi-directional relationship where your brain affects your body and your body affects your brain. Um, So it's really important then to consider what are we putting into our body? Because if we're not keeping our body healthy and we're not keeping our gut healthy, well, that's probably affecting your brain. Um, right. So in terms of my research, I'm wanting to figure out exactly what this connection is. How does our gut affect our brain and through what pathway? And I love what you said about the quick fix that we love in our society. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I feel this way. I'll just take this to fix that or I'll take this drug. When no one really stops to ask, well, why do I feel like that? What is the original sin? What is the original problem that is creating this need for this drug now? And to my understanding, it seems to be that that's what you're kind of pressing into. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I do want to say, like, there's room for medication. Right. Sometimes sometimes you need help and, and medicine is the best way to go. But why are we not considering the other parts of our body? Why are we not thinking about exercise or um, 
or the food that we're eating or the way that we're living our life. Are we getting enough sleep? Are we drinking enough water? Are we going outside enough? There's so many studies out there that have shown that all those pieces improve mental health. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to dealing with things like depression and and anxiety and other uh, mental health issues, why are we not considering the sources and our own body before we try and just add something else to fix it? It's kind of like, it goes back to Jordan Peterson's idea of clean your room. Mm -hmm. um, Doing it with your body. Clean your body. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So what are some like recommendations that you like, I'm thinking about all of the bad things that I have eaten over my life and the number of pizzas and things, but it's more than that. It's about, it's about actually being intentional about what you're putting in because at the end of the day, you are what you eat, right? And the body has to put in mm-hmm. a lot more work to process junk than it does good food. But like, what are you finding causes inflammation or causes depression? What are, is it unique to each person or is this, is there some trends that, are there some trends that you're seeing? Um, yes, it, we can't exactly say that eating something causes depression because it's really just associated with it (laughs) in in scientific language. We can't actually say that there's a causal relationship, but, um, there are certain foods that are more inflammatory. So sugars, um, fatty foods, processed foods, pizza, um, right. Yeah. The junk foods, those are more inflammatory. Um, and there are different diets that are being looked at now to see if they are, um, are better for your body. So the Mediterranean diet is one that's being looked at a whole lot. Um, and that one is something that's really low on carbohydrates, high in omega threes and, and D threes and stuff. Um, lots of fish and avocado and nuts and stuff like that. And that has been connected to lower levels of inflammation in the body. And so now there's research going into whether or not the Mediterranean diet can be used to treat depression or to ease depression. Um, There's also different uh, levels of research that are going into um, what are called FODMAPs, which are fermentable fermentable oligo dye and monosaccharides and polyols. And those are little components in food, um, like little molecules that are implicated in things like irritable bowel syndrome, um, gluten sensitivity. Uh, um, and they have been shown to induce these, um, these feelings of, uh, irritation within the gut and likely will induce inflammation as well. So there's lots of research right now that's going into all these different diets. Um, but if you're looking for a low inflammatory diet, the one that has the most research behind it is the Mediterranean diet. Um, but if I can, I think what I can say is eat what makes you feel good. If you eat something, like I'm not a professional, I'm not a nutritionist, but if you eat something and it makes you feel like crap, maybe you shouldn't be eating that. Yeah, maybe don't eat it. Yeah. (laughs) I heard someone say, sorry, go ahead. I heard someone say once too, they're like, you know, food is supposed to energize you. So if you feel really, really tired after you eat, maybe it's having the wrong effect. True. And maybe you should think about what you're eating. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I feel like most people don't think about what they eat. I don't think so, no. No, well, food has become entertainment. Right. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Very and much that's so. not necessarily a bad thing in some ways. Like you can have fun with your food, but I think people have forgotten that food is supposed to give your body what it needs to exist. Right, right. So maybe pay a little bit more attention to the way that you feel after eating. You know, go have fun, everything in moderation. But um, if you don't feel good on it, if it doesn't give you energy, if you notice that maybe you're more irritable or uh, annoyed with people after eating something, hmm, maybe your body isn't reacting as well to what you ate than it should. So how can you make yourself feel better? It's it's really taking personal responsibility for what goes into you and the way that you feel. Ah, personal responsibility. I, I, sense, I sense a theme being brought in. Imagine that. <laughs> we over here at the Canadian Story advocate for personal yeah. responsibility. <laughs> Let us take a moment to have an advertisement for personal responsibility. <laughs> Your life will be better. Oh, so much better. And I think you touched on something important there that not a lot of people are thinking of. And so, obviously, Mickey and I, we're, we're sis, or brother and sister. Um Food and how it affects us has been a conversation in our household for, yeah. I, I want to say, like two decades Why don't you guys go into now. that a bit? Because I think that's an interesting part of your guys' journey that doesn't get talked about a lot. But, like, you guys have been on a long food journey. I remember coming over yeah. to your house and we had to, like, was very specific what we could eat. And, like, mm-hmm. it was the same mm-hmm. with the Masons, who are also cousins of ours. Um, so why don't you guys share a little bit about that? Yeah, we were eating gluten-free way before it was trendy. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think the first time mom started me on gluten-free, I think when I was like three to start with. Um, so I was kind of raised in that. And I think dairy-free as well, Zach, if mm-hmm. you if you're yeah, yeah. By the time by the time you were around, Dairy wasn't around, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is why you're smarter than me. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was the whole puffed rice and applesauce with seeds for breakfast and and stuff like that, and it didn't stay. Uh, it didn't always stay that way. I know that mom mom noticed the the gluten stuff with me the most, I think where I'm trying to remember what she told me, but I think I was getting rashes and um, I wasn't really speaking very well. And then she took me off gluten and the rashes went away and I started saying full sentences. Right. Um, Wow. So take a moment to think about that. Like that, that in and of itself is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of sparked at least for me and with mom, the whole gluten-free idea. And then, you know, we ran into other things like oranges. I got hives with, so I came off oranges and that sparked our tradition of having pomegranates at Christmas. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't get oranges. Oh, in you get pomegranate. get pomegranates. I did not know this. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know about um, the or- orange allergy. Yeah, it's a yeah. thing. It's, mm. a, it's a thing. It's a nasty thing. Um, but then there came a period when we were growing up where we left the whole allergen stuff behind and went back on gluten and back on dairy. Um, I think when I was about 14, 13 or 14, that started. Um, And mom, I know thought that we had grown out of our allergens. And I'll say, I say the Royal, we, I had grown out Mm -hmm. of my allergens. (laughs) Right. Right. And, um, (laughs) And, and so did I, and I was too young to really understand 
you know, what was happening in my body. But to give some context, I was 14 years old and I hadn't hit a hundred pounds yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was a gymnast. So we thought that that was great. Normal. I was (laughs) just tiny. It was fine. I was skinny, but I was still strong, whatever. But then in early 2011, I had a really serious, um, reaction to gluten. Um, and best we can guess is that my system just got completely overloaded. Um, so I came home from a competition having performed very well at that competition, but having had, uh, wheat pasta a lot of the days when I was there and I got home and I got incredibly ill. Um, and then woke up one morning with my right eye swelled completely shut and um no one knew what was happening Hmm. inflammation inflammation (laughs) inflammation and um it was a really scary period because you know obviously my parents mom and dad took me to the doctor and that sparked a series of blood tests and scans and and so many different things my my blood cell count was really, really whacked out. Um, they gave me a CAT scan because they were checking to make sure that I didn't have some sort of tumor, that I was, didn't have cancer. And they couldn't figure out what was happening. And finally, what they determined um, was that my immune system got shut down and I got a really bad sinus infection. And then all the inflammation blocked my sinuses and it all started draining into my eye. Ugh. So my eye was being so shut and it was also, I didn't mention this, but it was also being pushed out of my head. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. It was, yeah. It was crazy. Oh, I was, forgot about yeah. this. It was, but that is just not. It was quite a it look. Was, <laughs> it was qu- quite a look. Everyone started calling me Sid from uh, <laughs> Ice Age because I had two eyes that were different. Right. Sizes. Different sizes. Wow. Um, that's how I got through. We, we joked about it, but yeah. it was, you it have was to, really you scary. You have to come at, you have to come at, Hardship with humor. You uh, you have to. Yeah. It's the only way you Otherwise, can. What are you gonna do? But like that was that was terrifying. I had double vision for three months. I was on antibiotics for three months um, before we finally got it cleared up. And in that time, when we were still trying to figure out what was happening to me, something that came up uh, through mom and my doctor was that maybe this was an allergic reaction. Maybe that's what happened. Right. So mom got the idea of just taking me off of gluten, dairy, and soy, which are three very common allergens. And we're going to take, we were going to do what was called a challenge trial. So I came off of them for, I think, two weeks. And then we were going to reintroduce them and see what happened and see how I felt. And I came off of them. And within two days, despite the fact that I was still incredibly ill i looked at mom and i remember this so clearly i looked at her and said i have never felt this much energy in my life wow wow i didn't know that wow yeah you you were at school (laughs) (laughs) i was at home on the couch (laughs) (laughs) so pretty much at that point like we did the whole challenge trial we reintroduced things i felt like crap i relapsed my eye swelled up again Um, (laughs) so it's like well this is pretty obvious (laughs) Yeah, from that point, I was like, okay, well, I'm never eating gluten, dairy, or soy again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so that was something that 
sparked my journey with allergies because from that point over the next five years, I kept finding new ones. Um, that you had, as I, that I had where I became more attuned to my body, more attuned to what made me feel good, what made me feel like crap and more attuned to what my allergic reactions felt like because they're not anaphylactic. I don't have my throat close up, but I do have my, uh, my vision gets affected. My emotions get affected. My gut gets affected. Um, and I actually, I ran into soy when I first moved to England without meaning to, and had to move into my apartment when I could hardly walk in a straight line because I had so, such bad vertigo. Wow. Yeah. Soy is the one that gets me even above gluten and dairy. Um, and what a lot of people maybe don't realize, and this is the one that like absolutely leveled me is that soy is in a lot of, um, creams, hand creams, mm -hmm. face creams, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I put on a face cream that had soy in it and was like leveled with anxiety for three days. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Soy wow. sucks. And oh, it's terrible. in Canada, it's in chicken. Yeah. But not in Uncle Wendell and Aunt Faye's chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I know because I have to drive an hour and a half to get the feed every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in, in our allergy journey, that was something that I ran into a whole lot um, when I was having to travel. Um, even within Canada, we were trying to, you'd have to eat out a whole lot and you're trying to find things that were safe. And for a long time, we thought that chicken was safe. Oh. And then it took having a really, really, really bad reaction right before a big competition um, and having my competition kind of messed up because of it for us to realize, wait, the only thing that changed was the chicken. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and it's a hard journey. It's, you really have to, become aware of your own body in a whole new yeah. way. But yeah. I, I speculate in this. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor, but I speculate most people do have food allergies. The problem is, is that they don't know anything else. So they eat these foods all their this lives just they they and they just feel. think this is how feeling feels. But when you come off of something for two weeks, a month, and then you reintroduce it and you get hit with something like an anxiety attack, it's like, oh, that isn't good for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that at least within like research in the medical community, it's not really talked about for how food allergies can maybe affect you mentally. No, this is why it is such an awesome area to be, to, to be working on, I think. Yeah. Cause really allergies are kind of classified as anaphylactic. Anything below that is considered an intolerance. Right. And Again, I'm not like I'm not a doctor, I'm not a professional in this, but I do think that that's maybe not the right way to label it. Um, because there are reactions that happen and it's not necessarily an intolerance. Like I can't tolerate any level of soy. Right. So how is that not an allergy? Just yeah. because I'm not at the risk of having my throat close up, why is it not considered an allergy? This reminds me of actually something that uh, I, I know your mom believes and my mom believes about our grandpa is he was always a pretty um, stern man and, and, you know, pretty distant from us in some ways. And I, and I think your mom has said it, that he struggled with allergies because he would always take a nap after every dinner. Like it was just like he had to lie down. 
Yeah, she speculates that uh, he had allergies as well. And that's probably where I got it from. Yeah. Genetically. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting to kind of go into the idea of maybe food allergies and intolerances can affect the way that we actually behave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like well, of course, fit. how could it not? This is the fuel we're using. And if the fuel doesn't burn well in our systems, it's going to yeah. make us feel off. I, I love what you said about anxiety. Like how often would people think, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Maybe I ate the wrong thing. People don't think almost that. never. People don't think that. Never. That's usually the first thing I think about, though, when I feel anxious. I'm like, right. okay, well, what did I eat? And then usually I can trace it back to, uh, I cheated a little bit over there, like right. yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had that slice of pizza. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's real. Yeah. And Zach, our family has the hashtag dairy makes me sin. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is always That's a something good my one, mom cause... says. She oh, she came off dairy because she got tired of repenting for her sins on dairy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. It affects really, it affects like, how you behave. Right. It affects how you behave, and maybe it's just because you feel like crap, so you're taking it out on other people. But I know for me, anytime I run into an allergen, particularly soy, because that's the hardest one to avoid, I found um, because of the hand creams and all that kind of stuff. But when I run into soy. I get really like I get really anxious. I cry a whole lot, and then I become really nasty because I just do not have the ability to control how I'm feeling anymore. It's just like all of the em- emotion dials are turned up to a ten. Hmm. And so, why are we not considering that aspect of things? Like maybe people would be kinder <laughs> if, if they ate the right things. <laughs> if they ate the right things. <laughs> I like that. It is pretty incredible when you start diving into it. And you're right, soy is the hardest one to root out because, um, for instance, um, if you look on the label of so many different products, you see natural flavor. What is natural flavor? Mm. Natural flavor is an all-encompassing term that they have used to actually represent a whole lot of chemicals that aren't natural that create flavor. But it's Mm. called natural flavor. And what carries those chemicals to create the flavor? Soy. Soy. Really? So when you look at natural flavor on a label, it doesn't say soy, but it is carried by soy. Mm-hmm. It's and what makes wanna, it so difficult like, soy as someone can be with good allergies. For, for some people. Like, yeah. Well, I'm just, yeah. I'm just talking about for me. I don't, I don't want to yeah. attack the soy industry as, as a large participant <laughs> uh-huh. in it. Yes, I'm sure you wouldn't. <laughs> but um, and hey, you know what? Edamame is delicious. Oh, yeah. But if I eat it, I would die. <laughs> yeah. But that's... Uh, That's something that I really uh, appreciate about the UK is they have far stricter laws around allergens. Mm. Um, So they have a set of 15 allergens of which, you know, gluten, dairy and soy and a bunch of other things, mustard, celery, sulfites. They're kind of like the top 15 allergens in the world. And they have laws where on the packaging, they have to declare if a product contains it, even trace amounts. They right. legally have to declare if it contains any of the 15 allergens. And it's made it it's made my life so much easier because I can look at some packaging and I don't have to try and decipher right. where something came from. What does the natural flavor mean? What do these chemicals mean mean? Um, where do they come from? What does the company produce things on? Are they aware of allergens? Here, they tell you flat out. Right, right. Well, that's good, yeah. 
that's something that I would love Canada, <laughs> Canada to get on to board do. with. So Canada, yeah. take notes, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll I mean, I could, the policies I, I, could see, I could see that being very popular, especially with people who are, I think Canadians, by and large, we try to take our health fairly seriously. Of course, there's lots that don't, but um, I think that is something that could easily be a policy that people would want. I think it's a great policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're doing good work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, so, I hope hope to be a part of that. Like, I would love to kind of take back. Oh, I'm my sure. Experience. I'm, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing is once you once you find a problem in the world, that's what really one of the joys of being alive, right? Is finding a problem and saying, how can I fix this problem? How can yeah, I help? Exactly. How can I help solve this puzzle that I've had? It's such a like you said. It's a, it's your own journey that has brought you here, which is <laughs> which is really exciting actually because you have the experience and knowledge both personally and now academically to help solve a problem that wasn't solvable necessarily for you at, at the time that you were going through it to the same degree. Yeah, I mean, when we started eating gluten free, there wasn't even gluten free bread. No, well, I remember. Well, there was, but it was literally like oh, eating it was a rock. Awful. Oh my goodness, it was so bad. <laughs> it was terrible. It was so gross. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't worth it. No, I remember coming but over now, to your guys' house and, and being like, "Oh, we can only eat these things." Yeah, and it was embarrassing as a child too. Like, right. oh, what do you mean you don't eat nice food? Like, you, what is that? Yeah. But that's oh, changing. I, st- I still get the joke of like when I talk about my my allergens the joke i get every single time is you know what do you eat air right yeah. and i'm just like right. i can't eat i just have to avoid yes it's a big list but i have to avoid these things but i can have good food yeah yeah well like it's you just maybe still not eat as meat. entertaining as you, you can still eat vegetables okay so why don't we go this direction um for someone who might be considering cutting things out of their diet yeah what is the lowest hanging fruit and then followed up by that um what is it that you do eat? Because it would be easier to list what you do eat than what you don't eat. Ah, there we go. (laughs) So if you're wanting to consider things to cut out from everything that I know, the most common allergens beyond like peanuts and shellfish and stuff like that are um, gluten, dairy, and soy. Um, I would, I feel like I have to put the disclaimer on, talk to your doctor about this because I'm not the professional. This is just yeah, my own we're not, experience. We're not medical professionals. No, no. We're just having a conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not even technically a psych- I'm not a psychologist yet. I'm just studying to be one. But um but yeah in my own experience gluten, dairy, and soy are a good place to start. Take yourself off of them, cut them out of your diet, um, and see how you feel. And then after a couple of weeks, reintroduce one of them so that you can isolate and figure out what's actually happening. And then if you feel crappy on it, don't eat it. Yeah. Um, but in it's terms like doing... of what I actually eat, um, I mean, day to day life, I, I eat fruits, I eat lots of vegetables, main meals are generally some source of meat that I cook myself, you know, I, I get it raw, I cook it myself, and, you know, add in whatever spices I want, I'm trying to spice up my life a little bit. <laughs> I can help um, you with that. <laughs> Zach, Zach I'm not is a very spicy spice cook. As you are, Zach. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so meat, vegetables, and um, rice or potatoes. That's kind of where I go. I have some gluten-free bread, but I don't eat it that often. Um, and, you know, I, I make salads with chickpeas, 
Those are a good source of protein if you're wanting something that isn't red meat or white meat. Um, eggs are a really great source of protein as well. It, it can be like protein's the hard part, but honestly, it's just not being lazy and cooking <laughs> things yourself. Hey. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Would you consider that an example of, I don't know, maybe personal, personal responsibility? responsibility? <laughs> maybe. The reality is like, you have to live your life. No one's going to live it for you. And if you want to feel good, if you want to be happy, you have to take ownership of that and figure out the things that will make you feel good and happy. So like, to, don't waste your time. That's the clip. That's the clip. <laughs> <laughs> don't, like, don't waste your time doing like, obviously everyone has to put in effort for things that you want, but the same hap- goes for your health. You have to put in effort to be healthy. You have to put in effort to exercise. You have to put in effort to drink enough water, to eat well. And it's difficult when you're avoiding foods, when you have allergens, it, it can suck sometimes. You don't fit in socially. You can't just go over to a friend's and get a pizza or go out to a restaurant very easily. Like I even have to consider if I'm going to a bar, what are they putting in their drinks? Right. Yeah. So. All of that has to be considered and it can make it really awkward socially. But to me, that social awkwardness is worth me feeling good. Yeah. And and maybe maybe that's really a deeper reflection too on just life is are you willing to sacrifice your life to fit in? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Your like personal yeah. well-being. Your free agency. In. Yeah. Right? If you know that something makes you sick, I, I know there's a lot of people uh, who, when they eat things that make them feel bad, they still keep doing it because it's like, well, I just I couldn't be bothered to be weird or not, you know, for people to, like, judge me or be like, oh, I don't want to. Like, there's so the many psychological. Good. Yeah. Or they want, they just want it. Yeah. I right. Mean, a slice of pizza is nice. Slice of pizza nice. Ice cream's nice. I'm gonna be honest. I'm no. really tired of pizza from my life. I just, uh, I almost never want to eat it again. Like, yeah, I know, I know that feeling. I, I felt, I felt that there about were years pizza. Of pizza. I felt that way about pizza and um, like lunch meat and cheese sandwiches when I was touring. We call them rider sandwiches, and they're in every green room I've ever been in. And when you spend ten years of your life eating stuff like that, you're like, hmm, I don't want that no, anymore. No, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's just. You have to, you have to make the choices for yourself. And that's a difficult choice to make. Like it's hard to, to not do what you want all the time. Mm-hmm. But, but it's necessary. It's necessary. It, it goes into every aspect of life, whether it's your health, your education, your relationships, like again, personal responsibility. <laughs> You have to operate in a way that is going to further yourself and further the people that you love. And sometimes that sucks. That comes with sacrifice. That comes with, you know, spending years potentially doing something that you aren't 100% wanting to spend your life doing, but it is something that's going to get you to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice. Dan Bongino said it really well. He said, hey, look, no one's coming to save you. You are the hero of your story that you've been waiting for. It's you. Yeah. So like, yeah, are you, you. going to do something about it? <laughs> yeah. Like even with um, 
with online education. So my my entire master's degree has been online. I actually walked right. into you didn't my even psychology get to go into a classroom. <laughs> yeah, but I like today was the first day that I got to walk into my psychology building on campus. I have been here for ten months, oh. <laughs> and I'm finally on campus because I get to work in the lab. Things are opened enough, but I have watched a lot of my fellow students really struggle with the online. Uh, format of education. And I know things are more difficult, especially as kids get younger, trying to maintain focus and and motivation and everything. And so I know everyone has different reactions to it. But I've also watched a lot of people just not take responsibility. Yeah, like just be like, Oh, the you know, it's a global pandemic, I don't have to do anything because, you know, or they just kind of you hear people just get really annoyed that things weren't the way that they wanted them to be. Yeah. Like we, we can't always control the circumstances under which we're operating, but we can control our reactions to them. 100%. That's your line. (laughs) Between the stimulus and the response lies the choice. (laughs) Exactly. That's Aurelius, right? Yeah. Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever like I wasn't, hundred percent happy that my entire education was online. No. Well, let's take a moment to loved- appreciate that you flew across the freaking ocean to sit in your dorm room and not go to class. <laughs> <laughs> it was For 10 months. <laughs> it was a little depressing that yeah. that's what happened. Um, obviously when I flew across the ocean, I really hoped that it would be different. Yeah. Um, but there are elements of online education that I really appreciate. I loved being able to pause my lectures so that I could write down the point um, and get my thoughts together or rewind to re-listen to something. It took the pressure off of you know, the lecture yeah, setting. Yeah. Um, and I will say that the University of Leeds did a really good job of kind of blending as much as they could between recorded lectures and then face-to-face online uh, live teaching. So we, I had a lot of interaction, but you're still missing out on the social interaction with your peers, the networking with your professors. Yeah. You're just not getting those casual conversations. And it was really lonely for a really long time because um, I know the listeners can't see it, but the background that you see has literally been my existence for the past 10 months. <laughs> it's rather my drab. Has it's been rather drab. <laughs> in my world. It's just a but, blank wall. <laughs> <laughs> So interesting. Um, but yeah, so like I wasn't 100% happy about it. But the way I looked at it is that I wanted this education. I wanted to learn. That's why I came here. And so I could either whine and complain about how unfair it was that I was stuck in my room, or I could buckle down and get to work. And do you feel like you've, uh, we got to end here soon so that we're not, uh, we try to keep it under an hour for our listeners. But uh do you, do you find that during this time, because you had so much time, were you able to utilize that to, to a fuller extent, do you think, and actually get maybe more out of your education than you would have if you had all those social uh, engagements? To a degree, yes. I mean, it took out the, took out the option. So yeah, there yeah. really wasn't much else to do. This is what I've discovered um, is like over the course of this pandemic, all I've been really doing is working. <laughs> you nothing else yeah. to do. <laughs> I think for a while, I really did try and make an effort to 
not let my schoolwork become absolutely everything. Um, I'd really tried to find that balance. I wasn't always successful. Sometimes there were 16 hour days of just sitting down and studying, which wasn't really healthy. <laughs> well, you got to put in the, put in the time sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, um, it did give me a lot of room to just sit down and like work on my work. Mm-hmm. I got, I had the time. I didn't have anything else to do. I had the time to spend, to do the readings that were assigned to me, but then to also go beyond that and find other sources that were expanding my knowledge. And I got to look into other things um, that weren't particularly related to school, but were, you know, world events and politics and what was happening in the world. I mean, the pandemic has been a part of our lives. So obviously I'm wanting to learn more about it. Um, And thankfully I have the education where I can read scholarly articles and generally get the gist of it. Right, right, yeah. Um, So I feel like I've been able to be more informed than some pe- some other people might be just because I have access you and I have the, the time. You can read and the you science. also know the language. You know the language. And I know the language. I know the language. I know how to kind of navigate the things that they are saying and the things that they aren't saying and kind of figure out what the interpretation could or should be. Yeah. She, Mickey sent me a... Uh, uh, like a, I don't think it was peer reviewed yet, but like a, a scientific paper just a couple days ago, uh, regarding the pandemic. And I read through like a bit of it and I was like, yeah, you're going to have to tell me. What I don't this actually means. understand what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> and she did a well, great I'm job. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to interpret anytime you need. There me we to. go. <laughs> well, I think we're just about out of time, Mickey, but thank you so much for joining us. Um, Quickly before you go, since, you know, although I'm not very into the idea of the monarchy, we did, you know, we are, we did come from <laughs> over there. What is something about England that you've enjoyed? Ah, yes. Oh. Well, I mean, I did bring up the whole allergy stuff. That's something that's, that's true, a really true. big win for that's me. That's a huge um, one for you, yeah. I, I love the countryside. Oh, it's so true. I've gotten to travel a little bit now that things have opened up and it's a beautiful country. You know, you get out into, it does remind me of Canada in many ways, but there's this age to it um, where you can just see the history. Yeah. The hedgerows (laughs) and, you know, the, the stone walls and the the Mm -hmm. fields of sheep and everything. And, and even just like the, uh, like the bridges that the trains go over, they're made of stone. And there's just this history to this country that you can feel when you walk around. Um, Whereas, you know, Canada is a bit more modern in so many ways. Uh, England, you still have that kind of old world architecture and feel to it. And it's really a wonderful experience to walk around and see that. Oh, it really is, especially as Canadians. And especially I find as an Albertan who grew up among plastic and wood, right? Yeah, That's not even yeah. brick where I'm from. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit, but hardly any. Well, thank you, Mikhail. I really enjoyed this. And I, I think uh, I think this, to summarize my thoughts on it, it's like, take responsibility for your own happiness. And maybe a big part of that is what you eat. Yeah, it's really, it's what you are, what you eat. Well, thanks, Michaela. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Cad Story. 
That's The CAD Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.